Amen. Let's clap to our faithful God, church. Good morning. Good morning. Why don't you guys go ahead and grab a seat and grab your Bibles, if you will, or your device, or however you'll follow along in God's Word. We're going to be looking in Acts chapter 20 today. As Pastor Randy shared a few minutes ago, uh, this is an exciting day for our church. What we're really kind of talking about is what is our legacy going to be? What is our legacy going to be in our community? And man, it's just been an incredible thing in the uh, 17 months that we have been in this facility to watch how fast we've grown. We've, as many of you know, we've, we're doing four services now, more than just this one, all right? There's other ones that are, that are filling up and there's a little bit of room to grow in those right now, but we're trying to make plans for that growth and, and our children's ministry area, youth ministry area, those areas are really growing and kind of busting at the seams. And, and, uh, and so again, we're We're in a series called Invest in the Person. And in this series, what we've been really talking about is, although, yes, we're talking about expanding our facilities, that really doesn't get us excited. What gets us excited is, who are the people who will be blessed as we as a church really continue to look out in our community and try to reach people with the love and the message of Jesus Christ? That's what we are all about. And so, again, this has been a fantastic series. And I I want to talk about your legacy, though. What is your legacy going to be? What are you going to be remembered for? I I think about this. What is EVC in our community? What are we known for now? And and what what will we be known for in the future? But but not just corporately for us, because we're made up of a group of people. And uh, the reality is, is you're going to be known for something individually. You'll be known for something. So will I. What will we be known for? What is my legacy? How will I be remembered? As a pastor, you know, one of the things that, that I do is, 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 and I've done many times throughout my, my ministry is, is, is I do funerals. And, uh, and, and sometimes those funerals are, are funerals that, uh, although they are sad, they also, when the, they are in Christ, they are filled with much joy and much peace. And you can see uh, there's a certain kind of funeral where people are at peace and people are, are, are happy for that person who's gone to be with Christ. And there's a legacy that's been passed. And then at other times, you can tell that there, there's funerals that have been very difficult that I've done where there wasn't much legacy at all. Maybe that person was really focused a lot upon themselves. And, uh, but one of the things that me having to do a lot of funerals has caused me to do is that every time I do one of those, every time I'm, I'm getting ready for one, every time I'm thinking about that person or thinking about that family, it causes me to think about my own mortality. Every time I'm confronted with that and I have to think about my own self, what will I be remembered for? What, what might my funeral one day look like, you know, whenever that happens? And by the way, if the Lord doesn't return for us before then, it'll happen for all of us. It's an, appo- it's a, an appointment that all of us have at some point, some sooner, some others, uh, some sooner than others. And, and, so, and so the question is, though, what am I going to be remembered by? Patrick Morley, he's a, he's a speaker for men, and he's written some great books for men to really focus on the priorities in their life. And he was at a conference, and he asked this question in this conference, filled a room filled with men whose priorities are all over the place, and this is what he said. He said, men, I want you to think about who will be crying at your funeral. What a provocative question, right? And it was, it was silent in the room as it would be now because that is such a deep question. And you may think, man, what, what a morbid question. But here's what he said. He said, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about it while you still can right now. And he said, who are those people? And then he said this, when you think about who they are, you need to realize that those are the people that you should be investing in the most. So I ask you that same question, and again, I don't mean to be morbid with you today or whatever, but it is a reality of life, is that all of us at some point have to, have to think about that, and, and who are you investing in? What will you be remembered for? And, and are you pouring your life into people who are around you? Are you pouring your life into things that maybe aren't gonna last? Is it an eternal investment that you are making as you invest in the people who are around you? Are you pouring into people where you work? Are you pouring into people maybe that you go to church with or certainly your family and your children or grandkids? Those are the ones that we want to be certain that we are absolutely investing in. Are you pouring into your friends? And then I would even kick it up a level here. Are we as a congregation, are we pouring into our community? 
Because one of the things that becomes very easy for many churches, and this is one of the reasons why 85% of the churches uh, in America have stopped growing, many of them are in decline, is because so often you can turn your focus inward and you can get content with what's going on here or, or, or kind of a satisfaction or, or whatever and forget about the fact that there are thousands upon thousands of thousands of people who are right outside the walls of this, of this building right here that don't know that love of Jesus the way that maybe you know it, know Jesus in your life. And many churches start to kind of feel like a little bit of a country club. And they start getting that way. But churches that are on mission, churches that, yes, you can have that awesome fellowship, you can, you can be in one another's lives, you can have that as well, but churches that are truly, that are thriving, that are growing, a church that is like ours right now, are churches that are thinking about their legacy. They're thinking more than just about what's happening with them right now. We're thinking, and the whole reason that we're doing this campaign right now is we're thinking about what's next. We're thinking about what comes behind us as God continues to, to pour people into our congregation. Some of you, you may have a will as you think about these kinds of things, and, and you want to be sure that your financial assets and, and the things that you have financially, materially, they go to probably the people that you love the most. If you haven't done that, you, know, you might want to do that right. And and give some thought to that. But as I was, I was kind of checking into this this week, I came across some really strange wills, okay? And this one particular, uh, I'll start with, Napoleon Bonaparte requested in his will that his beard be shaved and that the hair from his beard be distributed amongst his friends. Interesting, right? Okay? And I was thinking, you know, every, every man on our staff except Pastor Randy is a bearded one, okay? And I thought, if he outlives us all, we're putting it in our will. He gets some of that stuff right there. Fred Bauer. Fred Bauer is the inventor of the Pringles can. And Fred Bauer, uh, you know where this is going, right? Said whenever he passes away, and he did, that he wants to be sure that his ashes, he's cremated, that his ashes are put in a Pringles can and that, and that he is buried in a Pringles can, and indeed he did that. You may not know who Fred Bauer is, but I guarantee you know who this guy is, Michael Jackson. When Michael Jackson, he put this in his will, we have that picture there, we put this in his will. If you don't know Michael Jackson, maybe you'll remember Bubbles the Chimp. Well, Bubbles the Chimp, it was in Michael Jackson's will that Bubbles the Chimp would get $2 million. $2 million for his care, all right? Uh, you probably don't know this lady, but Gail Posner, she left, Gail Posner left Conchita the Chihuahua uh, $8 million. $8 million was left, you, you can see they have a lot of similarities, don't they? She even has a little wig. $8 million was left to Conchita the Chihuahua, who is also on a, on a weekly basis driven in a golden Escalade to a dog spa to be taken care of in that $8 million. And, and we, we hear that and that's kind of, sunny, kind of silly, but the question for us really is, what are you leaving behind? What are you investing in? What, what is going to last? And you know, and that's their prerogative to invest in that kind of way. And maybe you've thought about it financially and you've already put that in a will, but have you thought about what you're leaving behind when it comes to your values? Have you thought about who you're investing in, the difference that you're making in the people who are around you? Where, where you, your life, whether you realize it or not, will have a theme. And, and I see this every time I do a funeral as I realize there's a theme that that person has where people who would talk about them, whether it's me or others who would speak about that person, they would say this, that person was about this. They were about that. And sometimes, again, it's things that you go, wow, that's really powerful. You can tell there was a lasting difference. There's, there's many funerals that I've done where sometimes it's difficult for people to find things to say because that person really wasn't about much more than oftentimes than themselves. And I'll share about a man here in a, in a minute. And for me, I've thought what I really want to be known for is I want to be known uh, by my family for, for sure that they, that they knew about me, one, that Jesus changed my life 
that he changed a guy who, who was selfish and yes, still deals with it sometimes, but he changed me because of his grace, that now I'm known for the grace of Christ in my life, now I'm known for loving God, and he's known for loving people, how he loved people. That's what I hope that people will say about me, and now that's something that has to be intentional that I work on in my life, and, and, and but, but what are the things that I need to do now if I want to be remembered in that way? Because it doesn't just happen accidentally. You have to be intentional if you want to be remembered in that manner. And so I know that whenever we talk about this and we talk about our mortality, most of us don't like to think about it. Most of us don't ever want to think about something like this, but as I was thinking about this going into this week, do you see, do you realize there's actually a wisdom in it to say, I I wanna think about it and deal with it now. While I still have, if my priorities are messed up, while I still have an opportunity to fix it now, no matter how old we are, I want to fix it now and be sure that I'm, I'm, I'm investing in something that's really going to last because again, you are going to leave some kind of legacy. The question is, what will your legacy be? What will you be known for? What will you be known for in your life? And, and I know maybe we have students who are in here today, and I love that they're in here worshiping with us today. Love that I, that I see these guys all over the place, and I love that our church is, is getting younger as we're seeing younger families that are coming in. Maybe as students, you, you hear a talk like this, and you're like, man, I'm going to kind of check out because I don't anticipate that that's going to be the case for me anytime soon. Most of us, it will not be that way, but here is the reality. Maybe you don't think of it in terms of what's going to, what am I going to be? remembered for in my life whenever I die, but what is it that you will be remembered for when you leave your school? Because you will graduate soon. What will you be known for at Boswell High School or Chisholm or Saginaw High School? What will you be known for when you leave that place? As an adult, maybe you have given some thought to this, and your thought is, man, I want to leave a legacy. I just don't really know that I know how to do that well. Well, we're going to look at the story uh, and the life of a guy named Paul today. When you look in the scriptures, you see that there are several Bible characters who started off very well, but they did not finish well. When I look at Solomon's life, it breaks my heart to see that he didn't finish well. When I look at Gideon and I see that he started great and a man of great courage, but in the latter part of his life, he faltered and he didn't finish well. How do we finish well? How does EVC finish well in our community? How do we make sure that we are being remembered for the right things, right? And when you look at, at Paul's life, certainly we don't find any indication that Paul had any children or that he had grandkids. It, it's not mentioned in the scriptures. We don't know whether he did or not, but it's not mentioned. But here is what we do know. Paul left a legacy. Paul was known for, for something that went beyond himself. And, and Paul's life changed from being self-absorbed to being a life where he was giving his life away to others. Let's look in Acts chapter 20 for a few minutes. And the Apostle Paul, as many of you know, was a church planter. And he was going about planting new churches. And one of the areas that he planted a church in was in the area called Ephesus. And later would write a book called Ephesians that was written to those people. Paul spent time with the people of Ephesus. He poured his life into them for three years. Paul left the people in Ephesus to go plant other churches like in Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, some of these other places where he would invest his life in people all over the place. And Paul was feeling like God was leading him to go back to Jerusalem and knew that it was probably drawing near towards the, the last season of his life. He could sense that and we'll read that in a second. And so Paul, before he got back to Jerusalem, where he knew that he would most likely be apprehended for his faith, decided to stop off again in Ephesus to talk to them one last time, to give them some, some, uh, just some, some instruction on how he wanted to be remembered by them and to encourage them to, to press on in their faith. Many attempts had already been made on Paul's life, and this was something that was regularly happening. He had suffered greatly for the gospel, and Paul is going to stop by one more time, and he's going to say, I want you to remember me for the things that I invested in you. 
for these things that are going to last. I want you to remember my love for Jesus. I want you to remember my love for, for people who were around us and making sure that everybody experienced the grace of God like I got to experience his grace. What Paul is going to be saying is I want this to be my legacy. So how do I leave a legacy? Paul was about leaving a trail behind him of people whose lives were impacted by the gospel. It was going to transcend his life, and here he's still leaving a legacy that he's invested in us still today as we look at his life. But what about yours? What will be lasting regarding your legacy? And this passage challenges us to think about what is going to make the most impact. It challenges us to think about what am I investing in the most? For some of us, we may be investing in, in, in our career, and that's everything that we're pouring into. But you know, of all the people that I've done funerals for, I have never heard one person, and I've been with many who have been on their deathbed, one person that has said, I really wish that I'd have spent more time at the office. Or I really wish that I would have invested more in, in, in this particular part of the business or, or in this. It, it, I've never had a conversation like that. It's always about people. It's always about the people who are around them, the people who are in their life, the people who would cry at their funeral, right? It's always about people. Who are you investing in the most? And the whole reason that we're doing this expansion campaign is not because we like to build buildings. It's not because we like to, to, to take on new campaigns. I assure you that they're difficult and they're challenging. The reason that we do it is because there are people who will be benefited by this. There are people whose lives could be impacted by the gospel. And so, do we believe that God can use these facilities to impact the people who are in our community? And I believe that we've already seen that happen, and we want to continue to see that happen. But let's look in Acts 20, and we're going to see some characteristics of Paul leaving a legacy, and this is some good stuff to write down, okay? Verse tw chapter 20, verse 17. But when he landed in at Miletus, this is Luke who's writing this, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, you know that from the first day, from the day that I set foot on the province of Asia until now, what he's saying is I was consistent. When I started, I started a certain way. When I finished with you, I finished the same way. And he said this, I was faithful, right? I have done the Lord's work. And now what does, ever, what does it say right there? Everybody help me out. I've done the Lord's work. Say it with me, church. What? Humbly, and I've done it with many tears. I have endured trials, is what Paul said, that came to me from the plots of Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. I love that. I never, I never shrank back from that, either publicly, so he was publicly a speaker to them, but look at this, but he was also in their lives, or publicly or privately in your homes. I've had one message, there's consistency, for Jews and for Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin, turning to God, having faith in our Lord Jesus. He said, that's been what my life has been all about, for people to know that gospel message of Jesus, that he saves, that he loves you, that he came for you. And now he says this, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So the Spirit is compelling him to go into some challenging times. I don't know what awaits me, Paul says. Except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and, what does he say, and suffering, that even suffering await me. And he loves the Lord, doesn't he? But Paul knows that this is coming. He knows that there's a difficult time that's coming. He said that suffering lies ahead. But look at what he says. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it. Unless I'm investing, unless I'm using it for the gospel, for finishing the work assigned me, there's an assignment that every one of us has as a follower of Jesus, and it is to bring people to know about his love. And he said, that's my assignment, the, 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 the assignment by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul's life was changed. He wants others to know about how his life was changed. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom, these are hard words, will ever see me again. 
He says, I realize that, that that you won't. I declare though today that I have been, here's a word, faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, that is those who don't know Christ are separated from God for eternity. He said, if anyone experiences that there, he says, it's not my fault. My conscience is clear because I've been faithful to keep pressing out. I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So he's gonna say to the leaders of this great church, so guard yourselves. Guard yourselves and guard God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased by his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. He's saying, if you're a leader, lead. If you're a leader, love people, lead people. And I know that false teachers, he says, like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth. Now look at what he's gonna say, because they're all about themselves, to draw a following for them. And Paul is gonna say, that's not who I am. I was about pouring my life out to you, watch out. Remember that three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you, night and day, and I just noticed this, that he says it over and over again. Many, my many tears for you, do you see that? My many tears, I mean he was invested, wasn't he? My tears emotionally for those that I love, my many tears for you, and now he says I entrust you to God, I entrust you to the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Something that transcends this world is what he's saying, with all those that he has set apart for himself. I have never, Paul says, coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. He says, you know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant, he's consistent again, you see, a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, and and I want us all just to say this, I know this is a long passage, but What did the Lord Jesus say? Y'all say it with me. It is more blessed to to give than to what? Those are the words of Jesus. To give your life away than to receive from everyone else. It's more blessed to, to give of yourself, to invest in others. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and he prayed with them. He poured his heart out to them, right? They all cried. As they embraced and they kissed him goodbye, they were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. He told them this, and then they escorted him down to the ship. It's a very emotional passage when I read that uh, with a pastor's heart, and I think about Paul being escorted by those that loved him so much, and, and, and he gets on the ship and he sails off, and they're there and they're watching him sail out of their lives, but Paul had invested so much. There's some things that I, when I read that passage, I, I, I see that I want to be sure in my life. I want to leave a legacy that's going to last. How do you do it? Well, Paul shows us, if you're taking some notes, this is something good to write down, all right? I can leave a God-pleasing, because you're going to leave some kind of legacy, but how do you leave a God-pleasing legacy? How do you make sure it's something that's really going to transfer and last into the life of other people? Well, I, I start by being a person who lives with humility. I'm a humble person. And you see that Paul says this early on. He lives with humility. If you want to leave behind an eternal legacy, it starts right there. You have to be humble. There's humility that has to happen, and it, which means that you have to choose to die to self as a believer. Life isn't all about you. You begin to recognize this. The money that you possess isn't all for you. The time that you possess isn't all about you. The people who are around you, they're not all about you. You die to self, and Paul says it right here. He says, you know that from the day that I set foot in the province of Asia, he said, Until now, he said, I have done the Lord's work, and he uses this word, humbly. I've worked among you with humility. I I, I counted my life as as, as not worthy uh, to be used, or not worthy unless it's being used by God. Look at verse 24. My life is worth nothing to me. Now, if you know Paul's story before this, this this was not what his life was about. Paul was all about Paul. 
We would say Paul loved him some Paul, okay? But something happened in his life that began to change the way he thought about people. Paul's saying, now my life only matters to the extent that it is being used by God. I am not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price, is what he would say in 1 Corinthians. God, will you use my life to elevate your name, not my name? And this is so contrary to our human nature because our human nature, we want people to remember our name. Our human nature is we want to be famous for our own, or we want people to know us for our own purposes, for our own fame. And what Paul is saying, no, I want people to remember the name of Jesus because of me. I want people to know about Christ. Paul was an amazing, smart, gifted leader. And he would even say, I have much to boast about in those areas. But Paul would end up saying, we'll read it in a second, that I count all of those areas in my life as loss. I count those things as worthless. I count them as refuse. Now, now don't get the idea that humility means that you think of yourself as you're not worth anything or, or you're just so terrible, you don't have anything to offer, kind of woe is me. That's not humility, okay? That's just low self-esteem. All right, now here's, what, here's the difference. Humility is, is that I properly assess myself in view of who God is. That I understand that God is great. I understand that I am a sinner, but in spite of my sinfulness, he forgives me, he loves me, he has a plan for my life, he wants to use me in spite of my flaws, and so I make myself available to be used by God. God who is perfect and holy, and because I'm made by God, I've been given a purpose by God. Now, humility is this. It means I want to invest my, my life into the mission of Christ. It means that I die to self. I love, I heard another guy I say this, but here's what he said. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Do you see the difference? It's that you realize the value that you have in Jesus Christ, it's just that you're not always thinking about you. You're thinking about other people. I remember the hardest funeral that I ever got asked to do was for a man who was the most self-absorbed man that that the people who were in his life had ever known and that I didn't know him very well, but I got to know a little bit about him and how self-absorbed he was. And, and he was so self-absorbed, he had no legacy other than that being remembered as just being selfish and, and there was no humility. There was a lot of pride in his life. And I, I, whenever I, uh, someone, when I'm gonna do a funeral, I go and I meet with the family and, I, and normally they're telling me things about that person. This was the hardest meeting I've ever been in for a person who had passed away. And I just was trying to work my, 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 my magic pastor skills. Okay, no magic there, but you know what I'm saying. All right, I was doing my best trying to draw out, give me something for me to say about this guy. And I did my best and it was just crickets the whole time. And, and I was like, boy, this is going to be tough. And finally, I really, I, I really asked the wife to tell, and she just flat out said he was self-absorbed. All he cared about was himself. And this is kind of what, the, the, they tried to give me something. They said, well, he really loves cigars. Oh, he really loved the, the old Dallas Cowboys. He's not so sure about those new ones. But, but I was thinking, man, I got to have more than that. I gotta, you got to give me something. And, and then I began to try to reach out, but I couldn't get anything. She, she just said he was so prideful. Uh, well, I'm surprised our mar I wanted to divorce him a long time ago. It was, I was like, I can't say that. in this funeral. That's not going to be good, right? And, and so I didn't know what I was going to say. I decided I would reach out to the daughter, his only daughter, who happened to not be there on that day because she had determined she was not gonna show up at her father's funeral and wanted no part of it. And I kept trying to reach out. Do you have something that you would want to say? And, and she wouldn't return my phone calls at all. Didn't wanna have anything to do with me. Finally, someone who knew her got back to me and said, she has nothing to say. You don't need to call anymore. Her father was a prideful, self-absorbed man. And I just thought, this is gonna be the hardest funeral I've ever done. And I remember, I remember thinking, about that. And I don't, I don't want to judge him. I don't want to judge their family or anything, but I just thought about the dysfunction. I thought about how sad that was. And I thought how, how, how just truly tragic a life that is. A life that you are known for, your only love was cigars and the old Dallas Cowboys, who by the way, will never love you back. Right? 
And that's, that just broke my heart. I remember thinking, God, I want to be, I want to be certain that, that I learned from this, that I don't leave a legacy that's just selfish and all, is all about me. And, and, and Paul, if anybody had a right to lift himself up, Paul would say this in Philippians 3. He would say, and I don't have time to read all this today, but he would talk about all the accolades that he had in his life. Paul could have promoted himself, but then we get to the very the end part of Philippians chapter 3 in verse 8 where he says, and he talks about all of this stuff that he's achieved in his life on his own, and he says, yes, everything else is worthless, he says, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he said, for his sake, I have discarded everything else. Paul began to understand what was going to matter, what was going to laugh and last, and maybe there are things in your life that you would take from just hearing that story, or maybe hearing what Paul would say there, and, and you could ask, are, are, am I placing so much value upon those things that aren't going to last, or am I investing in, in something that's going to matter? Am I investing in something that's going to transcend me, right? Paul said, I consider those things worthless compared to knowing Christ and making him known, and you know what that takes? It takes humility. It takes humility to say, my life is not about me. My life is about Jesus. My life is about other people. Here's what really what we could say. If you want to have a lasting legacy, I'm going to put it as bluntly as I can. You got to get over yourself. We have to get over ourselves. And we have to realize that God puts us in other people's lives for a reason. If you want to have a God-pleasing legacy that lasts, here's what I also see with Paul, was Paul was a person who was not only humble, he loved sincerely. The love that he showed the people who were around him was so genuine. He said, I served you humbly, and I served you, I notice he says this, with many tears. Did you see a few times that tears were brought up? Three times, as a matter of fact, Paul said two times that he served with tears and then they had tears for him as well. He wept over them. He labored over them. He knew them. That's why there were tears. He was in their life. He invested time and energy and money and all of this, and he knew that they were people who had hurts. He knew that they were real people. They weren't just faces. They were real people with real lives, and he knew that apart from Jesus, they were hopeless. And so he felt this, this pain in his heart for them. He sincerely loved this community of people. And over the last few weeks, we've shared with you so many statistics about our community, and I won't belabor that today, but what have we learned? We've learned that, that a majority of the people who are outside of these doors do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ the way that many of you do. Many of them don't know how much they are loved by God. Many of them feel very alone. Many of them feel like their family is hopeless and they feel like their marriage cannot make it. Many of them feel all kinds of, many of them feel like they're on the margins. Many are battling with depression and they feel stigmatized and they're afraid to, 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 you know, to, to, to have any help from anybody because people might look down upon them. We talked about the, the millennials who out of the 35%, that's a generation behind me and we're seeing more and more come into our church, but 35% of the people who are around us who claim no religious affiliation, the largest bulk of that comes from the millennial generation. And that ought to break our hearts. Do you know who makes up the other part of that? Gen Z, who are the teenagers, the teenagers who are in our community. You see, everything that I want us to hear, the reason we're doing what we're doing is we want to be sure that we are having a legacy that's lasting with them. We are one generation away, church, from being a completely unchurched nation. Amen, right? And Paul... Paul said, I will do everything I can to get the gospel to all people, right? Are we truly broken over the lostness of our community? I had to ask myself that this week. 
When was the last time that I truly was broken over the, over the lostness of our community, where I was broken over the, the broken homes and the broken marriages and the hopelessness at people? When was the last time I was broken over you know, uh, the, the, the teenagers in our community or trying to find their way? And so when was the last time I was broken? Paul believed to his core and was willing to do whatever it took to be sure they knew the hope of the gospel. He believed that the gospel was plan A and that there is no plan B. And that we must do everything we can to get it. Look at what he, look at what he said, verse 26, I declare today I have been faithful, he said. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know, he said. And he cared enough for them not to just tell them what they wanted to hear, this is genuine love. He told them what they needed to hear, right? And you know as a parent, that's how you genuinely love your kids, is yes, you wanna be a friend to them, but you know you need to be a parent to them, right? And sometimes it's hard, but you gotta tell them what they need to hear, that's genuine love. He says, watch out, three years I was with you there. Watch out for these wolves who will come in. My constant, you know, they observe my constant watch over you, my constant care over you. Look at this, night and day. He sounds like a parent to them, doesn't he? Those of you with young kids, you know that. Night and day, my many tears for you. We see this, that Paul's life was invested in them. He was invested, it cost him greatly. It cost him money, it cost him time, it cost him energy, it cost him emotional expense. And then I notice that whenever Paul gets ready to leave, do you know what I see? I see genuine love because you know what I see? They wept over him. They wept over him. I started thinking about that and I started thinking about some of the people in my life that, I, that I've wept over whenever either they departed or, or, or just the ones who have had an impact in my life, if they were to depart, the impact that would make upon me. So much emotion. There are people in our life that have poured into you like that. Who are you pouring into? Who are you pouring into? Isn't it funny how we can look back on, on all of our teachers, right? And we can remember the names of the teachers who made a difference, who invested, who you could tell the ones who really cared, right? I think back on some of my teachers at Eagle Mountain Elementary where I went. I think about Mr. Ingram and how he still will every now and then reach out to me and here I am 47 years old. He was my fifth grade teacher. That's incredible. And he's retired. I think about Mrs. Vick who, who was at that time I considered to be an older lady. She was probably maybe about 35 at the time, okay? All right. <laughs> but you know what I thought was so cool about her? She would arm wrestle with me. We arm wrestled. I was arm wrestling an elderly lady in class. That's right. She won. I hate to tell you that, but she did. She was amazing. I remember her, and it wasn't just that kind of stuff. I remember how she loved us. I remember in sixth grade, Mr. Prince, who's still in this community, and how he loved me. I remember whenever I went to high school at Basel across the street and, and my coach, Coach Millsap, he wasn't, he wasn't the, the main coach, he was a young coach at the time, how he saw something in me and he invested in me and he, he said, hey, he lured, me with, he lured me with food, this is what good guys do, right? He, he said, I'm gonna come to Ginger Brown's with me, I'm gonna buy you the best cinnamon rolls you ever had. And I, and I went and you know what he did? He challenged me to start living my faith out at school and, and, and I, I was really not doing that at that point. And then I think of a guy like Bill Herford who, who was not a teacher in my school, but he was a teacher in our church. And those of you who teach our students in our church and you teach our children, I want you to hear this today. That guy invested in me and he, he said, and I was a teenager at the time and I was struggling and I was trying to find my way. I was coming to church and I was acting another way on the weekends. You know what I'm talking about? And he saw something in me and he said that and he said, I see something great in you. He said, let's go get a Coke together. I wanna to talk to you, I just wanna challenge you. And he challenged me and he said, I see greatness in you. Little did he know that the investment that he made in my life would lead me one day to plant a church called Eagles View Church where hundreds and now thousands of people are coming to hear about the gospel of Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
That's legacy. That's investment. Those of you who are serving, you are making an investment that lasts. You are making one that counts, right? And what I saw was was someone that cared. He didn't have all the answers to everything. I just saw that he actually cared, that he actually spent time, that he actually would look at me and invest some time in my life. And, you know, as part of this expansion that we're raising funds for is for our student ministry facility, for us to double our space because we are growing as you can look around. And we don't want space to be an issue. And we have this grand vision to see more and more teenagers come to know how much Jesus Christ loves them, right? Do you realize that once they graduate, that the likelihood of them coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ goes down dramatically? When they are in this age right now is when many will come to faith in Christ. I, I, I just want us to understand that, that, that what we're trying to do is, is, is about reaching them. It's about pouring into them. And I ask you too, unapologetically, if you feel led to give into this, but know that what is going to change their lives, yes, God can use the tools of facilities, but I'm going to tell you straight up, you know what changes their lives more than anything? You do. Because if we, we could have the greatest facilities, but if we don't have people buying into the fact that it's life on life, then I don't care how great your facilities are. But you do. Are you investing in others? It's you. You're the one that can be used by God. I will meet with anybody and I will pour my heart and Christ into anybody that wants to hear about Jesus. But over the last two, maybe three years, there's been a shift that has happened in my life where I have realized that God has called me specifically. Yes, as I lead and pastor this church, but God has called me specifically to be sure that I am investing my life in young men that I am pouring as much of myself and, and, and really Christ, not myself, Christ into young men and I will try to meet with them and I will try to talk life with them and I'll try to be sure that, that, that they understand that they're loved by God, that God has a plan for them and I, I wanna be sure that they're passing this on and they realize life isn't about them. I want them to understand what their identity is, that it's not in a job or a sport or anything else, that their identity is found in Christ who loves them because I know that 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 job could change at some point, right adults? Or I know that that sport may end at some point. You you gotta know who you are in Christ. That's why I wanna do everything I can to pour myself into young men and I wanna challenge the women who are in our church to pour yourself into the young women. That's the biblical way to do it, by the way. Amen, right? We wanna be pouring ourselves into them. Jesus did this with his disciples. Paul did this with Timothy and Titus, an older man pouring into the younger generation. And I want to expand our youth facilities, and we have a great vision to do that, but we have to be intentional as a church in going after teenagers and young folks because they are hungry for love, and they are hungry for acceptance. And they are more digitally connected than anybody has ever been, but they are called a lonely generation. Many of them feel alone. And they're hungry for love. And I want us to say as a church, we love young people. I want our legacy in our community to be known is that we love teenagers. I want, I want it to be known that we love millennials and those young families. I want it to be said that we will do whatever it takes to go after them and to spend whatever we need to spend to go get them. I love a few weeks ago that we had a fifth quarter and uh, we're just kind of getting this started. Jamie did a fifth quarter and we had about 125 students who came through that night. It's the first time we've ever did that. Whenever I left after the football game, after two of our high schools in the community played each other, we had a fifth quarter and we did pancakes. Man, we know how to get kids here, all right? We know how to get, it's food, all right? But you know what I loved when I left is I saw life on life because there were many of you who were up here with them. And I left, and you know what I felt like God was saying? There's 125 tonight, you keep pressing in, there'll be 500 before you know it. Wouldn't you love to see 500 teenagers instead of out all over the streets everywhere, getting into trouble, instead being, being around a church and having people pouring, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. We've gotta have vision to pour into them, but it doesn't just happen, you have to be intentional. Paul wept over these people 
He wept over them. Jesus wept over people. It says in Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. When I'm up at the schools, do you know what I see? I see a lot of sheep who are, who are without a shepherd. When I'm standing on the sidelines of the football game, and I love that I get to do that, when I'm right there and I look up into the crowd and I see a mass of students, do you know what I see? They're harassed and helpless, needing a shepherd in their life. And I want them to know how much Christ loves them. Listen, the fields of people are right, right in front of our faces, church. I love global missions as much as anybody else, but we have to understand there is a mission field right here. Amen? Right here. Is there anybody that you're loving like Jesus loved and poured into people, like Paul did? Who are you loving like that? Here's the last thing, okay? If you want to leave a lasting legacy, it takes humility. If you want to leave a lasting legacy, it takes genuine, authentic love for them to know that you really love them. Here's the final thing. It takes being a person who perseveres through hardship that you persevere when the going gets tough, that you stay faithful, right? You'll find at every stage of Paul's ministry, he undergoes persecution. He experiences difficulty. It's never easy in his faith, never. Look at his life. He even tells these people in Ephesus that he knows more suffering is coming for him. He says in verse 23, he says, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. And he was right, if you know his story. He was apprehended, he was imprisoned, but while he was imprisoned, he didn't waste his pain. He, he used it for God's purposes, and he wrote a majority of our New Testament while he was in prison. He didn't turn away from his faith. He pressed into it. He said, things are hard right now, but he said, until the time that I, that I go home, he said, I will finish well. I will finish my race. To live is Christ right now, and as long as I'm breathing, it's Christ. And when I die, it's gain. It's gain. We all know that life is hard. We all know if you're not going through something right now, we all know that you will at some point in your life. You will, your family will. Someone you love will go through something. It's difficult for all of us, whether it's finances or health issues or marriage problems or kids, things that are going on. Some of you have gone through loss of friendships. I don't know all the things that are going on in here, but I know that everybody has some pain and hurt in their life. And, and that life is hard. And you know, it's easy to be a follower of Jesus when everything is going well and going your way. But the question for many of us is, will we? And it's, it's hard. It's hard to know what you'll do until you're faced with it. Will we press into our faith? And will we finish well and point people to Jesus till our last dying breath when things are not going well, when life gets hard, Will we endure like Jesus did? Will we endure like Paul did and Peter and John and so many others who have left a legacy of faith for us to follow? And the reality is that we all know that there are maybe someone in your life or you've known someone that has given up or they've quit their race. We've probably all known someone like this and we don't judge them. We should pray for them, certainly. But you know what I've also seen? I've seen many right here in this congregation throughout the 19 and a half years I've been pastor here who have gone through through some great losses in their life. And you know what they've done? They've pointed people, yes, they suffered greatly, but they pointed people to Jesus along the way. It doesn't mean they didn't hurt. It doesn't mean they didn't weep. It doesn't mean there wasn't great grief and still is. But I think of the great losses, and there's so many I could mention, there's not time, but I just think of, of those who have lost children in our church. And I've done a lot of funerals for, for people who have lost children, and they still follow Jesus. Those of you who have lost a spouse and you still follow Jesus, our family walked through this with our beloved Dan and Linda, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, when Dan was diagnosed with cancer and Dan fought with everything until his last 
breath. And he persevered in his faith to the very end. And yes, we cried a lot and we wept a lot, but he held my hand and while he was on his deathbed, he said, don't you ever stop telling people, this is the day before he died, don't you ever stop telling people how good God is. And over these last six and a half years, we've watched, we've watched Linda struggle, and she'll be in the service later today. And we've watched her struggle, and we've watched her battle, and she is an inspiration to us because, yes, she has very hard days, but she keeps pressing on putting one foot in front of the other. And if you're in a hard time right now, that's what you do. You put one foot in front of the other. You just take it one day at a time, one step at a time. There's so many stories of so many of you that I could tell of the perseverance. When people persevere, listen to this, when people persevere in hardship, it imprints that faith upon their hearts, those around them. When they persevere, by the way, our kids are watching how we handle difficulty. Paul knew that all of his spiritual children were watching. They were all watching to see how Paul would respond in hardship. And this is what he said, and let's pray. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Finish it, he's saying. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. He poured himself out. That takes humility. The time of my death is near. Can we just say this last part out loud, church? Let's say it all out loud together. Do we not have that one? Do we have that one? There it is right there, very, at the very end. I have fought, say it with me, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained, I've remained faithful. Soon thereafter, he would be beheaded for his faith. I wanna encourage you today as you're going through something challenging, what I believe God would want you to hear today is don't ever give up. Don't you ever quit. You're gonna have hard days and we will walk with you and we will love you. And you need a church family around you. But don't ever quit. I believe that the greatest impacts that have been upon my life have come from the people who have suffered deeply in their life and they stayed faithful. I want us just to pray. So we pray together. If we want to leave a lasting legacy, we got to run our race hard. We got to be humble and realize that this life of mine, that it is not my own anymore. Are you loving people? genuinely around you? Are you investing in things that just really aren't going to last? We really need to think about that today. If you're going through a hard time right now, today, just press into the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I, I don't get this. I don't understand right now. My faith is weak. Will you strengthen my faith? can't do this without you. Father, thank you for the legacy that you left with us. We want to be faithful in our community, in our families, the people you've put in our life. We want to be faithful to invest in the people around us.